Welcome back to this episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast. My desk, my desk, my desk is here. Welcome to the Exploring Washington State podcast. Here's your host, Scott Cowan. All right. Welcome back to this episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast. My guest today, who's being very patient, is Josh Josh Grunig. We're just going to go with it, Josh. <laughs> Josh, you were introduced to me through my daughter who does our social media outreach. She says, this sounds like a really great deli. Let's talk to this guy. So I reached out to you. You were kind enough to, to circle back to us. Help me out here. Because the tagline's, oi, it's a mouthful. How do we pronounce the name of your deli correctly? It's Zilberstein's. And how so, did you come up with that name? So Zilberstein is, so my, my mom's last name is Stein. Okay. And our our family name uh, is, or was Zilberstein. And so okay. um, a lot of Jewish families that emigrated from Eastern Europe had very long Polish and German sounding names. And... Mm-hmm. When they when they emigrated into America, their names were shortened, and so it, it that's why there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of Jewish uh, people with the last name Silver, mm-hmm. and there's a ton of Steins, and gotcha. so I'm not necessarily related to all of those people, but you can see how um, you know, and maybe I am related. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> so well, I did I did meet someone on Facebook that lives in New York and and. Her, her her last name is Zilberstein, and so I'm pretty sure I'm related to her. But okay, um, yeah. So that's where he came up the name, and um, <laughs> I've always been really interested in Jewish delis. Um, mm-hmm. It's not something I grew up around. I grew up in the Bay Area, um, and we um, the Bay Area has a, a large Jewish population, but it's very reformed. And it doesn't have the same like deli culture as maybe Los Angeles, definitely not like the East Coast. Um, but I've always been really interested in it. And I, and I also just love sandwiches, um, like just big meaty sandwiches with with cheese and that kind of thing. And so um, I. um yeah, I mean, I've I've always been interested in this. I was really inspired by the. There's a place in Ann Arbor, in Michigan, called. Um, uh, <laughs> no, it's your turn. <laughs> oh man! Oh, okay. There's a place in Ann Arbor called Zingerman's. I've heard of them. Yeah, Zingerman's. Okay, so this is like a world famous place, and what they did was in I think in like the early 80s they opened a Jewish deli it was like two buddies two college buddies they start this deli and it was wildly popular and instead of instead of trying to open up a whole bunch of Zingerman's delis all over the place they were like they basically um grew their business with all these other complementary businesses so they opened a bakery they opened a creamery and and it was, you know, they also had um, like cheese. So then they opened a creamery and, you know, so on and so on. And but what they also did was they um, uh, they partnered with other uh, passionate people that knew more about that field than they did. So they would, you know, they found someone that was like a, a 
trying to start their own bakery. And they said, hey, we're going to start a bakery and you're going to be the primary owner. We're going to have a piece of it and you're going to provide the bread for our very busy deli. Um, so I've always been interested in that model of growing different businesses that are all complementary to each other. And um, so I, I started as a, my background's all in bread and baking. Okay. Um, I've been a professional baker since uh, 2006. Oh, wow. And I, okay. went, I, went to, I went to school for it. And then I worked, um, I worked all over the Bay Area. Um, and then I moved up to Seattle and I worked at Grand Central for a year. And then my uh, my daughter was born, and I took I took some time off, and um, and then I started doing uh, pop ups, and I was just doing pastries and like scones and a little bit of bread, um, and that kind of grew into what was Standard Bakery. And Standard Bakery was primarily croissants. Um, we did a little bit of bread loaves, but mostly croissants. And then I grew that into a pretty large wholesale business. And what I had been thinking the whole time was. Well, I've got this. I've got this wholesale business going. I had a little retail component to it, and I was like, okay, I'm going to look for another location and open this Jewish deli that I've always been thinking about. And um, I, uh, it didn't exactly work out that way. And um, I mean, essentially, essentially, what happens with wholesale is you kind of get you get to this uh, point. You're trying to get to kind of an economy of scale, and then. Um, you start having to make a lot of uh, compromises in either the quality of what you're doing or what you're charging. And you're just constantly getting squeezed in all directions. And this was like well before COVID. So before anyone even knew what supply chain meant, before that was even <laughs> a word. Right. Um, so, uh, so instead of continuing the wholesale, we remodeled the space that we're in in North Seattle and we pivoted and became uh, Zilberstein's. And so now we're a bakery and a deli. We built out a full kitchen in our space. And, um, you know, we're we're still really bread heavy. We make a ton of bagels. We do our own rye bread. Uh, we do babka. We do hall on Fridays. Um, all the fresh baked stuff. But then we also smoke our own pastrami. We make chopped liver. We do knish. And we do a ton of chicken soup. Like, kind of a crazy amount of matzo ball soup um really so yeah we we do a lot like even in the summer people still buy matzo ball soup so um so yeah i mean we've and now we've been in business about three years um and uh yeah it's great well dare i ask i mean you've been in business about three years and you know covid's been two-thirds of that yeah and you use, you use the magic word that everybody uses is pivot, but how challenge, how challenging was it for you <laughs> with a, with a, you know, a new business yeah. and all of a sudden foot traffic was gone. Yeah. What, um, how'd you I mean, do, uh, you know, without getting too graphic, but, uh, in those early days, uh, I felt. I don't I, I like to say, oh, we threw a bunch of darts and see what hit the board, but really we were just throwing a bunch of crap against the wall. Okay. And so <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, that's what it you know, like looking back on it, right? Like we didn't we had no one knew what was going on. I remember at the beginning people were like, Oh, all right, this will just be a month. Right. Like, oh, we're just we're just gonna close down for a month. I remember I remember having conversations with people like that. And I remember thinking like 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about it being a month. I think this is this is going to drag out a little bit longer. I don't think we're we even have begun to under understand the the scope of what's happening at the beginning, right? right. So, um, you know, uh, so going back to like throwing a lot of darts, and we'll stay with that analogy instead. Um, okay. So. <laughs> Essentially, we cl- we closed our dining room, um, but we did stay open. You know, a lot of places in Seattle were like, we don't know what's going on. We're going to close. And we weren't really in a position to do that. Like, we weren't really uh, we weren't in a position to say, like, we're just going to close our doors for a month and wait this out. And it, whether or not that was um, uh, stupidity or luck or, or what, but I think that's one of the hugest things that has really helped us is that we did stay open Mm -hmm. and that, um, you know, at the beginning people were like, I can't get milk and be like, all right, come buy a gallon of milk. Oh, oh, we can't get yeast. Oh yeah, we got yeast. And so like our pantry stuff, we, I remember we were selling like five or six cases of eggs every week. Like, of you know and we would just wrap them in plastic and sell it you know so um <laughs> just like that like um we sold flour and i think people didn't um we weren't having the issues that people were having at the grocery store and you know it wasn't that we were uh making a ton of money on that stuff but the fact that we were able to say hey this is a place to come if you need those things and What's I think what's funny too is I remember all, all the people like oh I'm doing all this home baking and then after a month people are like this is a lot of work it's kind of <laughs> it's kind of a lot of work to to do baked goods and be like yep yeah just hey, come on over come on down when you're tired of making your own bagels it's a lot of work um so yeah so we tried that and we also started doing home delivery so we started something called Bagel Club I think we started that in like May of 2020. And so we basically, you could buy anything on our menu that was like besides our actual sandwiches, but you could buy all the components. Like you could buy pastrami by the pound and cheese. And I mean, mostly bagels we sold, um, but we also have a whole pastry side too. So we were selling like cookie dough and cake slices and cheesecake and all this stuff. And so, um, and uh, you know, the bagel club for me has been the most surprising thing uh, for COVID because we, uh, it's more popular than ever. I mean, we, it hasn't slowed down. It's only gotten more popular. Really? Yeah. And I think, I think, you know, when I, when I think about, (laughs) it's like, when I think about what is the future of restaurants, I think about what is, what is the most convenient thing for the laziest person? (laughs) I mean, that's really what's happening. If you think about it, if you boil it down, right? Like how, how lazy, how lazy can I be? Like, you know, um, you know, I don't want to put pants on today. I'm just going to get my burger delivered. Like that's, that sounds great. Have you been talking to my son? Oh yeah. He told me all about it. He, this, I was good kid. Don't get me wrong. Good kid. (laughs) Talk, and he's, he he works for me on the on on, on my professional side, right? Yeah. And he, he comes into the he comes into the office one day and he goes, 
yeah, I'm going to order lunch. I go, where are you ordering from? He goes, I'm going to have McDonald's delivered. Yeah. And I'm like, I think, I think my rule of thumb is I don't want somebody to deliver food to me that I can go in my car to get and not get out. Yeah. So yeah. I don't have to wear pants in my car. I can, I can throw, I can drive yeah. to McDonald's, drive through the drive-thru and come out. I don't have to pay to have somebody deliver it to me, but laziness. You, yeah. Anyway, but tease my son, but yeah, I mean, um, not to, all right. I mean, not, not to make a, uh, not to make fun of lazy people. Okay. They're entitled right. to their laziness, but absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I have conversations with people. I have, I talk to people within the food industry and there's always like, what's going to be the next thing. And it's like the things that have happened over, over the last three, uh, two years are kind of just trends that have been accelerated that have, that have been happening slowly, mm-hmm. like third party delivery, uh, online ordering, QR codes, all that stuff. Like that stuff has been kind of creeping in. Yep. And it got it like out of necessity, it got accelerated really quickly. And so, um, yeah. So as, as I was joking about how I do a 5,000 year old craft at the same time, you know, I, I do try to embrace technology as much as I can in the sense of like, um, you know, we, we try to find places, we try to find places where, um, it's important to connect with a customer Mm-hmm. at certain junctures and touch points but you but if you can speed something up or make something convenient and easy for someone and do it in a way that is uh easy for an 80 year old to do because if it's not simple enough for an 80 year old or a five-year-old someone else most people are going to get frustrated and give up and be like that's not even worth it you know so okay. um yeah so, so Bagel Club is still it's it's growing still. Yeah, I mean, we had we probably had like five people a week, and wow. okay, yeah, I really thought, oh, after a year, everyone's going to go back to work. But, um, you know, one of the, one of the things with, with Bagel Club, and and we get this complaint a fair amount, which uh, which is, well, I came at two o'clock in the afternoon, and we close at three, mm-hmm. and we want to be sold out at two o'clock. Like we don't want any product left over at two o'clock at, at that part of the day. As far as the the fresh baked goods go, you should right. be able to get a hot sandwich until we close at three o'clock. But um, fresh bagels, fresh loaves of bread, all that stuff, we want all that sold out. So people come at two o'clock. They're like, "Well, I just want a dozen bagels." And I was like, "Okay, well, you got to come earlier." And they're like, "Well, I got to wait in line." For the-. I'm like, "Oh, well, join Bagel Club. We'll bring it to your house." And You'd be surprised how many people that we've got to sign up that way because they're just like, oh, well, you wait, you're going to bring it to my house? It's like, yeah. So, you know, that wow. kind of stuff where you're just like, oh, you feeling lazy? It's like your newspaper. You're right. Like, I don't need to walk down the block to the Walgreens to get my newspaper. Oh, they'll bring it to my door. It's like the same same as that. So <laughs> and you live you live on the east side, right? We're in Wenatchee. Oh, you're in one at, yeah. So, because like in Seattle, they have Smith Brothers. So they have like a, yeah. a dairy delivery on the east side, like that. Not that I'm aware of, but I haven't yeah. paid attention. We moved over here in 2017, and I, um, I don't, I haven't paid. I'm sure we do. Yeah, I just haven't paid attention to it. But like, yeah, Smith Brothers, or yeah. um, yeah, yeah. People have always. You're right. People have always kind of paid for that, you know, convenience. Yeah, absolutely, and so. And so I think I, you know, in a lot of ways, I feel like I've uh, embraced 
those things more than other places have. And mm -hmm. we also, um, I think Jewish deli food is, is, uh, very, uh, it's simple. It's soul food. It's, um, it's not fine dining mm -hmm. and it, it lends itself to, to go food. Like typically it lends itself to taking it to go. And so food that has lent itself to, to go food has, has fared pretty well during COVID. So, okay. Did you have any restaurant training when you opened the deli other than being a baker? Uh, sure. 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 <laughs> Somehow I don't believe this. Well, I worked when I was in the Bay area, I worked at a, uh, it was a bakery and restaurant Okay. and it was part of a pretty big restaurant group. And so, um, I definitely had, and I've had lots of experience being around chefs and being around food culture, but as far okay. as like actually being a line cook, uh, no, I have not done that. And so, yeah, I mean, some of the, some of the cooking stuff has definitely been, uh, a steep learning curve for sure. And, um, I think what's interesting about that too, is like, um, and I, I say this a lot at the new location where I'm just like, we don't know what we don't know. Like we, you know, like we, we could spend all this time being like, I can't believe it took us two months to figure that out. And it's like, yeah, but we didn't know that until we got in there and started doing it. We had no idea what the problems were going to be until you start, you right. know, so and, and and in some cases, if you knew what the problems would be, you probably wouldn't do it. You're like, yeah, no, I don't want to do that. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> too much work. Well, I th yeah. And I mean, uh, you know, I think I think that there is definitely um, I, I think that's another thing that has definitely happened during COVID where people that um, uh, people like young people that. I don't want to say that they don't want to work hard, but they don't want to like start at nothing and work their way up mm -hmm. and climb a ladder and just be like a dishwasher for a while. Like, I feel like that, that has just kind of gone away where people that go to culinary school are like, Oh, well, I'm a chef now. So I should own my own restaurant instead of like, Oh, I should go work under all these great people and actually make a bunch of mistakes on other people's dime and learn how to do this or, or, uh, Oh no, I'm sorry. I mean, um, uh, learn all the things. Sorry. Mm -hmm. I've never done that. Um, but, uh, well, but at the same time, I'm of the opinion that if somebody else is quote unquote footing the bill, that it doesn't encourage people to take, risks a little bit more than if it's and i don't mean this in a in a bad way i'm just saying is if yeah if you were working for i'm just going to pick a, let's say tom douglas just arbitrary yeah. there's a name that people listen to the show would have heard of if you were working for tom douglas and you knew that your paycheck next friday was coming in because of his his restaurant enterprises you might be willing to take a chance on something versus if you did it on your own and next Friday came and there wasn't any money in the, in the cash register, yeah. you weren't going to get paid. So it, it can go both ways. You, you might speed up that learning curve on somebody else's dime, if you will. And they're set up to absorb that and they get the benefits yeah. of your creativity and your, your effort. Um, I would, I would counter with that saying um, that 
most successful restaurants operate on consistency Mm -hmm. and which means that they are not they are they are pretty risk averse in that sense and so they're they are like hey go peel those 200 pounds of carrots like hey we need this salmon filet grilled the exact same way 1000 times and so and i i mean i hear what you're saying but i i also think that um that's definitely a kitchen by kitchen basis. It's really kind of the culture of that particular kitchen and kind of how much ego is in there in the sense of like, sometimes uh, there's only one good idea and it's the chef's idea. Mm-hmm. And there's not really room for anyone else to to be thinking other than just like making. And so, um, and then, I mean, cause this kind of reminds me of, uh, uh, on the flip side of that being like the pop-ups and there's been a ton of pop-ups around Seattle that all these restaurant pops that have happened during COVID because a bunch of people got unemployment, but like a bunch of people were out of work mm-hmm. and they're like, Hey, I've had this idea for this pop-up and, um, pop-ups are generally kind of a uh, low barrier to entry in the sense of like, if you have a tent and, and a two burner, like you can kind of make, and especially during COVID, the health department was like nowhere to be found. Mm-hmm. So you could kind of do whatever you wanted. Like I saw some some uh, uh, questionable sanitary practices. Okay. Uh, I'll leave it at that. I'm not going to name names or anything, uh, okay. but <laughs> fire hazards, <laughs> those kind of things. But okay. so those people are high risk takers. I would mm-hmm. describe, <laughs> but they also, I mean, you know, I would say typically people are, um, I don't know. It, it's interesting. Like how, how you're the idea of what you're saying too, because there are, there are restaurants that, uh, you know, they change their menu every week or every month. They have a completely new menu every month and you've got like a chef de cuisine who's like, let's try it. You know, so there are, there are places that exist like that. Um, but I would say those probably operate more in fine dining settings Mm -hmm. and those kind of settings have definitely come more few and far between during COVID because those, those type of establishments operate on ambiance Mm -hmm. and you're, I mean, you're paying for the dining area. You're paying for how nice those glasses are, all of those things. And none of that translates into go food. And so, and, and now we're seeing this huge swing back towards like people really do want fine dining experiences. They really do want to sit in a fancy place. They actually want to wear trousers. Like we've, I think everyone's gotten through that period now where we're like, I, it's funny. Like I really make an effort um, to not go outside wearing sweatpants. Like I have to consciously like, and I walk, I walk my daughter to school some days and it's like two blocks from her house. And I'm like, put some jeans on, It'll just take a minute. Like, and that's, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not shooting shade on anyone. It like you, you, cause now there's like all the, uh, at leisure wear. So you can, (laughs) you could spend $400 and still be wearing sweatpants. Right. But you know, they're nice sweatpants. They're nice sweatpants. Great. Oh my gosh. I guess that, I, I mean, that's for another podcast, but yeah, that's, that's a, that's, that's a, that's a rabbit hole. Where we'll just, I'm going to avoid that one today with you. Yeah. That's like a dad. That's like a dad bod podcast. I'm yeah. Gonna, oh, geez. I'm going to oh start that. 
It sounds really smelly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going to ask, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you on the spot. I'm going to ask you an impossible question. Yeah. If you could only have one sandwich for the rest of your life. Yeah. What would it be? Um, well, the first thing that pops to mind is a shrimp po' boy. That that comes to mind, um, okay. which is actually what I had for lunch today. All right, because uh, there's like a fish and chips place uh, down at Rainier. Shout out to Emerald City Fish and Chips. Okay, with, with the very delicious shrimp po' boy. Okay. Um, uh, why, also, a shrimp, why a shrimp po' boy? What what is it a what what is it about that sandwich that? I mean, I love I love fried shrimp, mm-hmm. like breaded and fried. I mean. Uh, there's just, it's just delicious. Although I don't think okay. I could eat that every day. That's like a That's once, a- once a month thing. Cause I feel like this, as I'm sitting here talking to you about it, my, my, uh, maybe it's just from talking about it, but like my tummy is like, really, is that really <laughs> what you want to eat every day? That's and your my, answer. My, really? <laughs> yeah. I, I, okay. So, so maybe not that my body's maybe speaking not. up on that one. Okay. Although, or, or I mean, you have to contextualize this a little bit. Is this a sandwich with no consequences? Uh, yeah. Well, since it's the only sandwich you're going to be able to have for the rest of your life, yes, there there can be no 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 dietary consequences. Well, okay. I mean, that changes the nature of the question. Sorry, there's like a there. Sorry, for some reason, my daughter's iPad game decided to light up for no reason. <laughs> um. I also, there's also, uh, man, there's also, uh, well, the sandwich we make, excuse me, that was awful. Uh, so we do a sandwich called the Skokie and Skokie. It, and it's corned beef with melted Swiss and coleslaw. Mm-hmm. And that's super good, super good sandwich. I really enjoy that. And I eat that once in a great while too. Um, we also do what we call the Rachel, which is the Skokie with, with turkey instead of with corned beef. Okay. So I don't know about, I mean, I think I would eat that a lot. I don't know. Things with bacon. Uh, I do love bacon. Um, yeah, there's so, there's just so many, so many sandwiches. I mean, there's also like in, in Seattle, there's uh, tats. And they do they do the tatstrami, which is like a pastrami sandwich with coleslaw, and they like do super thin sliced pastrami. We do like thick cuts style. Ours is a little different, mm-hmm. but they they do like a hoagie roll, which okay. is really good. I like I would probably eat that every day. Um, man, yeah, that yeah that's an impossible good. question. I know. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, I mean, the way I feel about that is like the way I feel when someone's like, what's your favorite thing? Right. And I, I had a whole conversation with someone about to, this the other day about how like it, that is so subjective to the moment you ask it. Right. Like, I don't, I don't live in a world where like, I'm only ever going to have one thing. Like, mm-hmm. what am I in the mood for? What did I eat earlier? Am I hungry? Am I uh, like, Am I, am I angry? Am I hangry? Am I like, in what state am I in? And like, how, how, (laughs) how fit am I for the consequences of what I'm about to eat? 
after those things. How much am I thinking about the after of yeah. like, like we went to barbecue for my birthday and, uh, and I ate like a whole rack of ribs, which I really enjoy doing like once a year because right. I can do it. But then like later on, I'm like, I wish I hadn't done that. So, right. Right. Um, oh my gosh. Yes. So like a yes. McRib, uh, what about a McRib sandwich? I actually, I, I have to admit, I've never had a McRib sandwich, but I don't know that I ever had, I, for some reason, and it's, the story is, I mean, I can make the story up because it's mine, but I, going back to what I was telling you before, which about the, the Bourdain, when I was chauffeuring, you know, yeah. I spent a lot of time behind the wheel of a car. And so I would eat a lot of food that was served to me through the window of that car. Yeah. And McDonald's was, I could go to McDonald's, I could order something, eat it. Next time I saw the signs, I'd be hungry again. Yeah. And and it was like, this is, it's not good, but I <laughs> don't want to not eat it. Yeah. I'm just going to stop. And I yeah. haven't eaten at a McDonald's in over 12 years. But that doesn't mean I haven't eaten at every other fast food place that serves food through a window, but I just don't do McDonald's. That's yeah. just, you know, and nothing against the company. Because um, I, back in the day, I really liked their Egg McMuffins. Yeah, I'll still eat it. That's like kind of the only thing from McDonald's I'll eat. But I can remember uh, the last time I had that was like two summers ago. Because I went, I think it was like, I don't think it was Mother's Day. I think it was like 4th of July. But I went to the McDonald's on my way to work. And mm -hmm. I bought like 20 breakfast sandwiches and brought them into work and gave everyone them. Because when you don't have to make it yourself, regardless of what it is, it's going right. to taste really good. It's yeah, it's delicious, so, right? I was like, oh, okay. And with I, there's only like ten people working, but I have this young this young gentleman who will just he he is is a, a garbage disposal, so he will just he will just eat. He would eat ten, and then everyone else would have one, right? And then, right. Uh, so he'd still be hungry. He'd still be hungry. So mm -hmm. we so we go to Cash Carry a lot, which is like the restaurant supply store, and they mm -hmm. have uh, every once in a while they pull out this cart of stuff that's like um it's uh you know stuff it's not gone bad but it's not selling or maybe it's about to go bad so, mm -hmm. so they had this cart and they had like four cases of nacho cheese and i'm talking like the number 10 cans that oh th those are like 12 pounds 10 pounds each and right. six of those in a case and they had right. four or five of these cases on a cart and the manager at the cash crew was like you want some of these here? Just grab a case. And I was like, I'm good. Like, <laughs> like, why don't you do a nacho bagel? And I was like, I I don't know. No, thanks. No, so I go back to work from cash carry and I'm like, um, I'm telling this young gentleman, I'm saying, oh, they have all this nacho cheese at the cash and carry and they're just giving it away. And he's like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah. And he, he did nothing. I mean, he said nothing. He literally turned around, went out the back door, got in his car and drove to cash carry and loaded up the back of his car with, I think, three cases of this nacho cheese. <laughs> and then the next day, I'm like, I'm like, Gavin, did you really go over there and get all the nacho cheese? Like he's, he's like, yeah. And I ate a half a can last night. And I was like, did you heat it up? And he's like, no. And he, I was like, are you OK? You look like mummified. 
your skin is turning yellow. He's like, no, no, I'm fine. He's like sweating heavily. Gosh. Um, oh I mean, God. I used I used to be able to eat like that when I was a teenager because he's like he's like 18. But um, and then yeah, I, yeah, uh, I could too. But yeah. you know, but we love him. He's a hardworking guy. What are you gonna do? It'll catch up with him eventually. Yeah, is, is he? Yeah, wow, my gosh. Um. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you, you you named a couple of sandwiches, so let yeah. me ask you this: how did you, how do you go about naming the items on the menu? How did this? How did the Rachel come to? How did that come? The Rachel was like a thing that someone told me about from another deli. Okay, I don't I don't know where that name came from. Uh, Skokie, okay. the Skokie. So my grandparents are from Chicago and the city they grew up in is called, is called Skokie. So that's how I came up with that name. Um, We do another sandwich called the Bronx delight. And someone reached out from LA and said, I used to go to the Catella bakery and deli in LA and they had this sandwich and it was corned beef, pastrami and salami called the Bronx delight. You should put that on your menu. And I was like, that sounds like a very big sandwich. I will definitely put that on the menu. And so that's how I came up with that name. I'm looking at your menu. The the Bronx Delight has eight ounces of pastrami, eight ounces of corned beef, beast and cleaver salami on rye with mustard. Yeah, you got to have the mustard. So, well, it's like, it's almost counting calories. Can we take the mustard off? What? (laughs) I'm counting calories. Can we? I was gonna say you get a little you get a little vegetable in there if you get the mustard, oh right? Oh my gosh! So, and so, we we like uh, once in a while we don't sell that very often, right? But when we sell that, it, uh, someone will come and they will eat the whole thing in one sitting, and they're like, "I drove here, I have nothing else to do today." And I was like, "I hope not. <laughs> I hope not. I hope not." So, do they just sleep in the corner? Can they just you know just sleep? Yeah, free, oh gosh. free like you get like a airplane pillow after to just lay down on the table. So, so tell me, I'm looking at your menu. There's, you've got a lot going on here. Let's talk breakfast first. What's your best seller for breakfast? Well, our, our all time best selling thing that we sell mm-hmm. is the Frankel. Okay. So the Frankel is pastrami, two eggs, cheddar on a bagel, mm-hmm. with some mayo. Some people don't like mayo. Some people that work for Zilberstein's really like mayo, and we call him the Mayo King. Where mayo he King. he would we, that's his name. His name's the Mayo King. He's earned it. He really likes mayo. Okay. Uh, he's changed different things out of that sandwich. There's always a lot of mayo. Like oh, so the mayo is the consistent thing. One okay. one might say too much mayo if it was me. I just like a little bit of mayo. But anyway, sorry, okay. I digress here. So the Frankel is like our all-time favorite popular thing. We sell that from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. all day, every day. It's like, I mean, more than even single bagels or anything. We just sell a ton of Frankels. The Frankel goes. That's 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 the way it is, yeah. Okay. And and that place, uh, I went to New York before I started Zilverstein to take a bagel class and to go all over New York and try bagels. And there was a place in Brooklyn called Frankel's, and they did a sandwich like that. And so I was like... I'm definitely stealing that and definitely using the name. So that's okay. where that name came from. So, All right. I mean, things are borrowed. Things are, 
are stolen, things are uh, suggested. Well, so. instead of instead of you know instead of stolen, maybe maybe we maybe we should you know frame it as it's a homage. It's inspired. You're right. Yeah, that's strong. I don't want to get canceled, so you're right. Yeah, inspired by uh, Pinehurst Poutine. Oh yeah, we saw a lot of that. Only on weekends. Only on weekends. Yeah. Is that, <laughs> that's not a business lunch dish. You're not like not. you're rolling up your tie. Like, does somebody does, has anybody ever has anybody ever ordered the poutine and the Bronx delight at once? <laughs> no, I mean that's enough food for a family for a week. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. Okay, so I have to ask my standard question. You, you're, you're on your menu, you've got drip coffee. Yeah. Are you are you a coffee fan? Big time. All right, this is this is gonna be a tough one because it's Seattle, and I've tried a lot of coffee in Seattle. But where's a great place to get a cup of coffee in Seattle? You can name your place if you'd like, but you know where? Yeah. Where's a great coffee shop in Seattle? Well, I mean, we 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 use broadcast coffee, okay. and that's so we use their beans. Um, mm -hmm. And that is uh, arguably one of the best in Seattle. Um, and I would also recommend Herkimer Coffee that's in Greenwood. Mm -hmm. They they make extremely good coffee. But I will tell you, I'll tell you, Mike, uh, if you uh, if you really want to have a cup of coffee and you really know what's up, you just order an espresso with like with some bubbly water. That's the purest form of coffee that you can have from like if if someone's a coffee roaster and mm -hmm. you like if you can speak their language and uh, that's what you order. Like you just get because when I go to places, I'm like or you just have a black drip. And yeah, I mean, most that's my. Yeah, that's my go to. Yeah, for sure. But I would say those two places. Um, OK. Yeah. All right. <sighs> Boy, I'm a. Uh... I feel like we're not doing the menu justice here, but you got a lot of bagels, a lot of loaves of bread. What's your, uh, putting you on the spot, your favorite, your favorite bread? Uh, I'd say probably the rye bread. Um, okay. Or the, you know, I love the pumpernickel bagels. We only do those once a week. Okay. Um, those are super popular and um, it's hard to say. I mean, I mean, like a lot of days I, I'll go for a Bialy with like a fried egg on top. That's, that's where it's at for me. So, okay. um, wow. it really okay. just depends, you know, uh, like I haven't, um, I haven't been at Zilverstein's a whole lot. And usually I I'll go and get a 15th Ave and that's a breakfast sandwich with bacon, eggs, cheese on a croissant. And it's got a little bit of greens in it, but it's like the bacon and the croissant together. Just that's where it's at. That's where it's at. Yeah. I mean, both of those sandwiches are really good. I mean, to be honest with you, like, I I don't eat a lot of red meat, and when you okay. when you are smoking and cutting thousands of pounds of pastrami on a regular basis, it it doesn't make you want to eat it. I was gonna so, say, does, do you lose kind of the 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 fan the fanboy aspect of it, yeah, if you will? Is for like, sure, yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, but I still love making it and i love serving you know i love seeing other people enjoy it for sure right. um so but dealing with it on the on the daily basis is okay yeah i mean i love croissants 
like, and we used to just swim in butter. Like when, when we were wholesaling and we were mm-hmm. going through, uh, oh man, we, we were going through like five, we were going through about 180 pounds of butter a day for a croissant. So that was like five or six cases of butter every single day. And you're like, go home and you're finding butter like behind your shoulder. Like you're just, where, how did that get there? I don't know. But it doesn't make you want to eat a croissant. And now I don't make croissant that much. And I and I enjoy having a, a good croissant more enjoy often. Them more. So, okay. Like, so, what's 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 next for the deli? Uh, well, what, what so, do you, so I open Crystal Ball say. Well, I, the well, I open a new location yeah. in Seward Park called Muriel's, mm-hmm. and it's it. Seward Park has a big uh, Jewish population. So, um, and every, I'd say like twice a week, we, we get a call at Silverstein's like, are you guys kosher? And be like, no, we're not kosher. And so I knew that there was a market for doing a kosher uh, business. Mm -hmm. So Muriel's is kosher. We're kosher dairy restaurant and a parv bakery. So parv basically means that you, it's food that can be eaten with either meat or cheese. So it's, It's for us, it's uh, challah, bagels, rye bread, and bialis. Okay. We do bialis every day. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's our back room where we do the baked goods. And then the, in the front, we do, you know, essentially vegetarian food. So it's a lot of fresh vegetables, grilled cheese sandwiches, um, you know, cheesy toast with eggs, um, lots, of, lots of avocado toast. Um, and so just it's all meat free, but we use all kosher cream cheese and cheese and um, all that stuff. So that's definitely, um, that has been my, that's been my life the last uh, four months now. We opened January 20th. So. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so it's so been a minute. I, so I'm on, I'm on your website for Eat at Muriel's where you, you talk about your inspiration. Yeah. And I just want to read this because I think this is really kind of cool. My grandmother was Muriel Stein. She loved life with two open arms, always ready for a nosh, and loved a cold beer. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow, I just think that's a great... That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, and I should mention also, so Muriel's, we we are a partner with Chuck's Hop Shop. So our space, okay. we our space is inside of Third Place Books, and Chuck's does the beer, and we do the food. And so, okay. like, Chuck approached me about this project, and when it came along, that was my first thought was, like, I instantly thought of my grandmother who loved beer. She really liked uh, like Corona. She liked Mexican beers. Like before Mexican lagers were, were so fat, were so fashionable. Like, right. but she liked a light, like she, you know, she'd be down with like a Corona and a slice of beer. That was her. Okay. That's like, <laughs> I have that so seared into my mind when I was like, I must've been like 13 or 14, but we, I call my grandma and I'm like, okay, we're coming back. We're getting food. What do you want? She's like, bring me a six pack and a pepperoni pizza. And I was like, okay, <laughs> that's what I'll have. I'll have that too. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Help me out here because as you know, before we, well, we hit record and I was butchering names, but you're going to be, according to this, you're going to be certified and I'm not going to even try to pronounce. Oh, oh, oh! You mean Muriel's? Sorry. Yes. So, uh, Muriel's is Pas Yisrael, which is the Parv Bakery part of it. 
um, mm-hmm. and it's Halav Yisrael. And so for the restaurant, so it's di- kosher dairy. And so essentially what that means is um, Halav Yisrael is kind of the strictest form of kosher dairy that you can source. And it essentially okay. means that there is uh, uh, Jewish supervision from uh, from the moment the dairy is produced from the cow to the moment it gets to the uh, consumer, essentially. Wow. So like every stage, there is a Jewish person overseen by a rabbi who is monitoring the quality of of that product. So, so farm to table, if you will, is having Jewish supervision or in. Yeah. So how do you, so where does, walk me through this because yeah, like where are you getting your, your milk from? Most of it, I mean, comes, it's not dairy most of it comes from East coast. Yeah. We use a, a kosher distributor. Um, wow, okay. Some of the cheese comes from like uh, Wisconsin. Some okay. of it comes from New York. Um, so there, I mean, there, there is, uh, a, a larger demand for the, for the kosher stuff on the East Coast, and so that's where mm-hmm. a lot of the products are made. Um, okay, we actually don't do a lot of importing. Like most of the stuff is done, um, is done domestically as far as the dairy goes. Um, okay, and it's it's interesting, like with um, with Zilberstein's too, because we have always put a lot of work into using local locally sourced stuff because right. it's just usually of the best possible quality when it's fresh. And it, and also like when you know the producer that's making it, a lot of the small producers, like I know them personally. Um, right. And a lot of those relationships have um, really benefited and not been hurt by supply chain issues. So because we're like, hey, we use flour from the Skagit Valley, it's like there's no boat in between us and Skagit Valley. There's just a truck, you know, like, so right. it's, I mean, a lot of that has kind of benefited us, but, um, that is definitely a big concern moving forward because, you know, uh, flower price, flower prices are supposed to go up about 30% in the next 12 months because right. of, I mean, essentially because of demand and because of the war in Ukraine. So because mm-hmm. there isn't that supply in Europe, there's going to be this demand for American wheat and it's just going to drive up the cost of everything. So. I did read an article, and it won't change pricing, but I did read that the wheat crop here in Washington this year is supposed to be larger than yeah. normal. So, you know, not that that's going to offset much. I don't think so. So, yeah. Well, so Muro's is open. Where did I see that at? So you closed on Mondays and Tuesdays. You're open Wednesdays through Friday. So you're really only open. It's only really only open three days a week. No, we're open Wednesday through Sunday. Now I'm gonna be I'm gonna give you a hard time because nobody can see this, but <laughs> I'm gonna point here to the website where it says yeah. closed on Saturday and Sunday. On, uh, on is that on the web on our website? Yes, sir. That's not good. Is that on Google or on our actual website? No, this is on editmurials.com. Main page at the bottom. Right below, you got a few menu items here. Jeez. See. Here's the map. I believe you. <laughs> I just don't like it. <laughs> hey, at least we found out now, right? And you're wondering, like, how come Saturdays and Sundays are slow? <laughs> so mad. It explains so much. <laughs> Dude, what's up with that? 
Um, well, that's easy to fix. An, I can yeah, I fix. can sit here and fix this while we're talking. I'm not yeah. going to. I'm just. But you could. Um, so that's the good news is it's yeah. easy. Well, who scrolls to the bottom of the page anyway, right? I'm, I'm old. <laughs> and I'm... I want to see every corner of this website. Every inch of it. Is it is it is it responsive, mobile friendly? No, um, no, it's not. So yeah, yeah it's well that actually well, that with Muriel. So we do uh, QR code ordering, and mm-hmm. I've talked to several people about this. And the thing with QR code ordering is like, it is good and bad. My one of my issues with it is like, um, on a on a mobile device, it's really hard to like make a menu look good. And yes, and I yes. and I have not seen a place solve this problem because we use a POS like we use Square that mm-hmm. that integrates with your mobile device, and so and um, I can't even think of a good example. But it's like if there was a way to make a like a fold out printed menu on a mobile format somehow, I don't know. Someone will come up with it, but. Yeah, you know when they when they implant the chips in our head that we just have the the menu in front of us here virtually and we're looking at it, you know, yeah. augmented reality or whatever that's going to be. Well, I mean, food prices are going up so high. I'll take some uh, augmented food. <laughs> Sounds good to me. I just had a burger. Yeah. So has I mean, not that we're trying to turn this into a business podcast, but from costs of doing business, yeah, have things have you noticed a, a drastic increase across the across the board? Um, yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think, I think one of the challenges, the, there's, there's always been a new set of challenge, right? And so like, for instance, today, we just noticed that one of our vendors charges us $2 more for our fuel, for our fuel charge. So they just added that on and it's, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, it's like $2, right? It's like, oh, who's going to who's going to notice? But it's like those little things that just keep adding up and kind of chipping away. Um, Mm -hmm. We we are being really uh, uh, we're being really careful about our uh, about our pricing and we're changing our pricing all the time. I actually heard Mm -hmm. I heard a thing on um, they interviewed this guy on the radio who's I think he was like in um, New Jersey or Philadelphia or something. He has a pizza place. And he's like, you know, pizza places are not, they're on the lower end of price points. And he's like, he essentially said like, he's having to change his prices so often that he just stopped doing a printed menu that he's because people are mostly ordering online Mm -hmm. and he's just constantly increasing his prices like a week to week basis because of how the prices are changing. So, um, yeah, so that's the world Mm -hmm. we live in now. But, um, you know, I think I, I mean, the other thing that, that he said, which I thought was interesting was, you know, people, uh, uh, a lot of people are kind of being forced to, or choosing to eat out less and, mm-hmm. and cooking for themselves a little bit more, not all the time, but, you know, they were like talking to these different customers and they're like, you know, I used to go out, I used to eat out five to six days a week. And now it's like three days a week because it's just too much money. And so, I mean, it is, it's impacting people at the grocery store too. So it's kind of like people are, are having to make harder decisions about what kind of stuff they can buy. And, sure. um, 
once in a while we get a knucklehead that complains about our high prices. And then we, and then I have to explain to them, we're not ripping anybody off. We're just trying to stay in business. You know, like, I'm glad you decided to come crawl out of your hole that, and apparently you have never watched or heard the news from anywhere or heard the word supply chain. You've never heard this term. And, but yes, send me all your vitriol. I, w- I want all of it. Just, just yes. give me a 10 page y'all preview of vitriol. I would love that. So. Yeah. <laughs> we could go down. We could go I'll just put it. I'll just put a period on that. Yeah. How has Muriel's been received since this is the newest project? Oh, it's been great. People, people love the food. Um, we definitely have been tinkering a lot and, you know, and I was thinking, um, I was thinking about what I said earlier about how, you know, um, we don't know, what we don't know, you know, right. and that's part of opening a new business. I mean, I had a, I had a much more clear idea of how this was going to go because of Zilberstein's and because of having mm-hmm. a little bit more restaurant experience. But, um, there are, I, I always like to describe how it's a dialogue and how you have a community of people they want to eat food mm-hmm. and you have to figure out what they want to eat. And so you right. can offer them some things and then they're going to communicate with you and then you make some adjustments and then you, and then you like put some more stuff out there and then you say, Oh, do you like this? And they're like, yeah, I don't really like that. And so we, I mean, we've changed the menu every month. If not a couple of times, we've changed it every two weeks where we're just wow. like, okay, that's not selling. Stop doing it. Like we, I feel like the, the window, uh, the window for accepting loss or, or waste is so tiny at Muriel's now compared Mm -hmm. to at Zilberstein's because when you're, when you're open for a while, uh, you have things that sell and that are popular and it's hard to take those things away. Mm -hmm. And so it's been just a much quicker turnaround of like, oh, people don't want that. Let's get rid of it. Like we don't have room for that. Give me an example of something that you thought would be a. a I, I love asking these. The, you know, yeah. what was what was a, a quote unquote failure? Because we learn something from it all the time. So, what was something you thought would be <laughs> well received, yeah. and it just it just wasn't. No, I just saw that. I just saw that uh, a couple minutes ago on Instagram, where it was like, it's not a failure unless you ignore the data. <laughs> okay, you know, all and right. I was like, yeah, yeah, that's. That's a good attitude to have. Right. I mean, so, uh, we, well, so uh, initially we were open until 7 PM because we're Mm -hmm. part of this beer bar. We thought let's have like lots of fried stuff and more like bar snack stuff. And, you know, we'd get into like happy hour and it wasn't really selling. And so it kind of, it kind of turned out that people wanted like dinner. They wanted like sit down dinner Mm -hmm. and, so people would say, oh, you know, can we get, uh, well, a lot of people were like, where's the meat? Where's the meat? Like, I want a Reuben with pastrami. And I'd be like, okay, a Reuben, that's, I think, the funniest thing to me. Because a Reuben is arguably the most iconic Jewish deli food that right. you could think of. That I, That's what I always think of, right? And it right. is the most unholy, unkosher thing that someone could eat. Because you have red meat with cheese in a sandwich. That is like 
that breaks a lot of rules. So, uh, <laughs> which I think is really funny. And then a lot of that having to do with the fact that like Jewish deli culture in New York, where it really like had, where it really grew and exploded, that Jewish deli culture, as we know in America, was uh, was built for non-kosher Americans, non-Jewish people. Like it right. wasn't built for kosher observant people. And I think that's what's really what's really interesting about that. So, um, I mean, that's a whole other conversation. But um, <laughs> I love that. I love that. Like, oh, yeah, that is the most Jewish deli thing. But a kosher person will not touch that and eat, the, you know, so. Um, uh, so back to your actual question that I will eventually answer. Uh, so. We, we were like, oh, people want bar snacks. And it turned out people just wanted dinner. And the thing is, like, um, to operate a food business and do three meal periods, essentially over a 12-hour period, the staffing mm-hmm. that is needed to do that is very, very challenging. And so... I can imagine. Yeah. So we weren't making... And we weren't making enough money at night to justify having the staff to stay open. And so... Okay. You know, so initially we were open eight to seven and then we weren't really getting an 8 a.m. crowd. So we opened it, start opening at nine and then we were like, OK, let's just do lunch like this is becoming the neighborhood lunch place. That's mm-hmm. we're we're making the most money between 11 and one. So now we're just going to focus on that. Like we're just going to focus on that thing that people are telling us they want, which is lunch. Mm-hmm. And then eventually maybe we can build it out to doing dinner we we are trying to get a lot more of the breakfast crowd you know um so i guess to answer your question it's like um we just are focusing on what works and what doesn't and responding very quickly and so like mm-hmm. we were doing um uh we were doing these carrot fritters and they were super delicious they were like it it was just carrots with a little bit of egg and chickpea flour and we'd fry mm-hmm. them up, and then it had this delicious, like, yogurt duca sauce. And duca is a, a spiced uh, nut mix. And ours had hazelnuts and pistachio. And then it's got, like, cumin and lemon. And it was super delicious. But um, they took way too long to make. They were labor-intensive. And they didn't sell great. And then they also took a really long time to fry. So, like, a regular uh, basket of fries takes, like, five to six minutes and these carrot fritters were taking 10 to 12 minutes. And so like it would take 30 minutes to get someone an appetizer. I mean, cause that was like a starter, you know? Mm. So that was something where we're like, well, this tastes good, but it's not super popular. I I held on to that dish. I think a little bit longer because I just really enjoyed eating it. Um, And, uh, but eventually it was like, well, this is just, causing more problems than it's solving so okay. <coughs> are you do you have you know you've just opened a you know restaurant that's been open five months or so at the time we're recording this still in its early stages still i'm guessing you're still you know finding your way if you will you know so this question might be challenging but What's the future look like? Are you going to keep, do you want to keep expanding? Do you want to kind of broaden and and like, like, um, oh my God, the Ann Arbor um, company, uh, help me out. Uh, It's on the tip of my tongue. Oh, Zingerman's. um, Yeah. 
do you want to be more like them and, and, and broaden the foundation, if you will, and partner with other people and bring things in? Or what, what do you think you want to do down the road? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Perfectly I mean, good. I kind of, I mean, to be honest with you right now, it's uh, to get Muriel's out of the red, you know, to be, you know, I mean, we're, we're not like hemorrhaging money, but we're not making any money. Like we're, okay. it's really, really tight. Um, and uh, it's hard to see. Um, I mean, people talk about, oh man, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to be finding people to work in the food industry now. And it's hard to find people in service. And mm -hmm. that's hundred percent true. And the, the part of it, part of, there's many, many, there's a, a bevy of reasons that has caused that. And what I would say is like, um, it gives me pause to say, oh, I want to open up a whole bunch of locations because who's going to work there? And for instance, I will tell you what happened today. Uh, like at Muriel's, my uh, primary baker got COVID. So she's out. We don't have a replacement for her. And then as I'm like trying to shift my attention onto that at Muriel's, my other baker at Zilberstein's called me and said, oh, I broke my hand doing kickboxing and I just went to the, I just went to get an x-ray and yeah, I, I shattered my hand in two places. So I'm not coming to work tomorrow. And so like, and we don't have a replacement for those people. I mean, other than me, you're looking at me like that's, I'm the replacement to fill in for those two people. The problem is that I have not yet figured out how to duplicate myself or to be in two places at once. So I can only be in one place tomorrow to cover these two problems. So, and this is like a very common issue where you're like, there's no room to have extra people, nice. but then you don't have room if you lose one of those people either. You don't have a lot of wiggle room. And so, um, so it gives me pause to say, uh, to, I don't know. I think today I would say I cannot see past my hand to like completely what, what the future holds. I do know that people love bagels and, you know, Seattle is having a bagel moment. And I think there's a lot of opportunity to, to have a lot more bagels in Seattle and that I'm not going to be the one to do all of it, you know, and it's, mm -hmm. it's been really cool to be living in Seattle and, you know, there's like five or six bagel places that didn't, did not exist three years ago. And right. it's, it's a pretty great moment to be, in a city with a bagel scene. Um, and I know everyone and everyone's like super cool. And, you know, and so, um, you know, I just hope that that continues. So. Okay. Well, this next question trans trans, you know, gets us away from what you do professionally to what you do in your off time. But given, you just told me that you're down to bakers tomorrow, yeah. you, the, the, the off time. Okay. But what do you what do you and the family like to do when you're not filling in for staff? Oh well, we got it. We we have a uh, we got a puppy in December, so we go okay. to the we, well, we like to go to the dog park in uh, Magnolia or not in Magnuson Park. We have to go to the big dog park oh. there. Um, okay. And then right now it's like 
if it's nice outside, we just try to be outside. So, you know, my kids are five and eight. And so if we, if it's not raining and we can spend most of the day outside, um, we've been, we've been doing a little bit of tennis lately. Um, so my eight year old's kind of getting into tennis and, uh, I, I am flirting with the idea of trying to go play pickleball on a regular basis, but well, it is the state sport. Um, it is. Have you have you interviewed a pickleball uh, ex? I have not. Uh, pro? I have not. Is there a pro no, pickleball? I have, not interviewed, I have not interviewed a pickleball pro. Do you know one? I mean, I'm I I literally a month ago learned that it was the state sport. So I don't. Yeah, I, I'm not I, the I, person I, to ask. I will tell you yeah. though that like every tennis court I drive by seemingly lately has pickleball courts on it. So interesting. And I did look at a like a meetup group uh, of pickleball people. So, or, and there's like leagues and stuff, but, um, that's as far as I've gotten. That's what I'm saying. I flirted with the idea. Okay. Um, wow. I would very much like to do that this summer. So, okay. What type of puppy did you get? Oh, she's a blue healer and German shepherd. So low energy, just calm. Yeah. <laughs> who has low energy dogs? Yeah. I mean, who has a low energy puppy? We don't. We we got our we got our puppy in April, and it's a Bernese Mountain Dog. Oh my god! Which is, you like pain? Yeah. Well, I about twenty five years ago, yeah. I had one, and he was wonderful, mellow, chill, yeah. and I f- forgot the whole puppy thing. This guy, <laughs> we just weighed him. He's three months old, and he's thirty six pounds. Oh my god! And you know, I think we're going to put a saddle on him yeah. so our cat can ride him around. Yeah, pretty much. Um. And he is just relentlessly busy yeah. until he doesn't want to do something. And then he just lays down and won't move. Yeah. So that's, that's what I do in my opinion. spare time right now. Is They're really fun dogs. I actually looked, I looked at getting one. The, the, what's funny about our puppy was like, I wanted a bigger dog. My wife really loves blue healers. And mm-hmm. I've, I've always had like, I had a golden retriever when I was a kid, I had a black lab. So I've always like kind of medium, larger dogs. And mm-hmm. we couldn't quite, like agree and i i actually was like i would love to get a german shepherd i love german shepherds they're wonderful family dogs this would be great Mm -hmm. and then we find this blue healer german shepherd mix and it was like this is great and she's actually she's only like uh she's almost six months and she's about 31 pounds so okay she i feel like she's kind of slowed down like i don't think she's gonna get i think she's gonna be like 55 60 pounds at max so yeah. We'll see. Not uh, not a hundred and sixty pounds like your your beast of a dog. Yeah, you're about to yeah. Have. he'll he'll, he'll probably be one hundred and thirty when yeah. he's full grown. My cousin has a Burmese Just... mountain dog, and I'm like, I mean, I'm assuming you have a lot of space at your house. Yeah, we do. Yeah, so that's yeah. yeah my my uh, cousin has like a little tiny backyard, and I'm like, what's your, your dog is going to eat you? Your dog will eat you alive. You shouldn't do that. Don't subject a dog to this, but. That's okay. I wouldn't say that to your uh, face. My my friend has a three year old burner. Yeah, and and I and I and I've always wanted another one, but I was never gonna make a big effort to do yeah. it. And so I just said to him, I said, "Hey, if, if if the breeder that you got, his name is Otto. His dog's name is Otto. If the breeder that you got Otto from ever has an extra in the litter, just let me know." So I get this text message. 
you want to buy a dog. This is like two years yeah. later than from, you know, and I go, what are you talking about? He goes, well, the breeder, she's got some extras this time because some people backed out because of, you know, fears of the economy, things like that. And we're getting one too. And so I go, you're going to have, so he's got a puppy. You have a puppy. And I was talking to him today, literally on the phone and we were kind of comparing war stories and <laughs> I felt a little better about our, yeah. what we're going through. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh. But, uh, yeah, he's a, he's fun. Don't get me wrong. So let's, let's wrap up with, with my get out of jail free question. Cause we could go on for a long time. What didn't I ask you that I should have? Um, well, what I always, what I always think about in moments like this, when I have challenging days and for some, you know, I, I, all day today, I was looking forward to having this podcast with you. And I was like, I'm, I'm hopefully, uh, sometimes I really hit the wall at eight o'clock and I'm just like, you know, but tonight I was like, I, I got my kids organized. I was like, listen, I'm getting on this thing at eight o'clock, like no messing around or at least go to your room, leave me alone. Um, <laughs> they could be screaming bloody murder up there, but I got headphones on. So no, um, right. but, uh, I think days like this, I remind myself of why I'm in this business, which is that I love to feed people. You know, that that's what gets me up every day. And although I may not be eating pastrami every day, like the the 90 year old grandmother that comes and is like, give me the really fatty cut. Don't skimp me on the fat on that corned beef. Like, give me the really fatty corned beef cut. And she'll like, we used, we used to have people would come in and she would like, she'd look over at the cutting board and be like more fat, put more fat in that corned beef sandwich. Like, you know, this might be the only corned beef sandwich he's for a year. So it's gotta be right. It's gotta be the, like the proper sandwich. And so, I mean, part of, uh, feeding people and nourishing people is really the foundation of what I enjoy doing. And that gives me a lot of fulfillment. And so, and that's why I continue to do this business because, when I stop, when I start thinking about all the impossibles and all of the reasons why I shouldn't be doing this, like that's what it brings it back to me and, and people's connection with that food. And so, um, and we have a lot of conversations with, about what are we not doing at Muriel's that we did at Silverstein's. And a mm -hmm. big part of that is talking about the story, connecting with people and the way that you like, you know, I always love that scene in Ratatouille where the chef eats the ratatouille and he's transported back or the food critic and he's transported back to being a kid. And food uh -huh. is that food to me is 100 percent like that. Like it is transportive. It is magical. It is nourishing. And so if I can like even just get a little bit of that pixie dust once in a while and like once in a while, just connect with someone like that, then it's it's all worth it for me. So. All right. That's, that's wonderful. Yeah. I love that. Well, I want to thank you for taking the time this evening. hundred oh, percent. Well, depending on when people are listening to this, but folks were recording this in the evening. So anyway, but thank you for making that happen. <laughs> of course. I don't envy you tomorrow. Yeah. I don't know what you're, how you're going to be in two places at once. I, you know, you'll figure it out. Yeah. You can't call <laughs> it in. Can't make bagels over the phone. You keep trying. <laughs> no, but I mean, what are you going to do? Are you going to, are you going to make them in one and transport them to the other? Is that what you're going to have to do? hundred percent not. 
because we have one kosher business and one non-kosher business. So Ooh. they're separate. They're like, Ooh. no, I mean, uh, this, uh, no, we're going to be fine. We'll be fine. Okay. We do have another baker and we have people that can help. And so, um, okay. no, we'll be fine. So, I mean, well, my, my next time I get to Seattle. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Next time I get to Seattle, I'm going to check you guys yeah, out. Yeah, come on by, sounds, man. This looks the, the menu. I'm, I think my arteries kind of like shuddered when I was looking at it a little bit, but you know what the heck. Yeah, yeah. just clear your day planner. It's fine. Yeah. So, <laughs> can I, can I take a nap in the back room or something? Well, you can have, you know, uh, I'll tell you a funny story about that because when I went to New York, I went to Cat's Diner. To I went mm-hmm. to Cat's and I ordered a Reuben, and I sat down, and there were a bunch of places I wanted to go eat, and so I ordered this Reuben and I ate half of it, and then I was sitting. I I ended up befriending these two people and they were like from Argentina or Brazil or something, and I was like, "Do you want the other half of my sandwich?" Obviously, this was before COVID. And right. <laughs> we were chatting and the guy was like, what, what do you mean? And he like, I, I, I'm not going to say anything bad, but he ordered a bagel and lox, which is not the place to get a bagel and lox. No, no shade on cats. But if you go to cats, mm-hmm. you need to get pastrami. Like, so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I gave him half my sandwich. Cause there were like three other places within walking distance that I wanted to go check out. And, um, and I knew also that if I ate that whole sandwich, I would like, I would, I would like, I would be done. I would just like lay down on the counter. So know your limits, you know, bring, right. bring a friend, eat half a sandwich. So, well, let me ask you, I'm going to ask you this one last question. So there's these iconic deli names that we've heard of. Yeah. New York and LA. Once again, maybe what's your favorite? My favorite deli. Yeah. Um. Well, so the place I told you about in LA, the Catella bakery, that mm-hmm. and I went there with my grandparents a few times when I was a kid. So I would say I don't have the uh, breadth the breadth of experience at all these different delis, but I like mm-hmm. going to that deli because they also had this. They have this huge bakery. It was like one of those places, like the old Italian bakery. You walk in and there's just cases and cases of cookies, just piles and mounds of everything, and that's like, and they do the like rainbow cookie. So I would say that place in LA. Okay. So I don't even know if it's still there. It may not even be there, but, and then someone told me about this place in Palm Springs called uh, Sherman's that I've never heard of. And it's like real old school and it's all kosher. Like you should go check this Mm -hmm. place out. And I was like, um, sure. If I, I mean, if I'm going to go on vacation, it's not going to be the desert. I'll just leave it at that. (laughs) Okay. Thank you so much for making this happen. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. It was great talking with you, Scott. All right. All right. Join us next time for another episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast.